Today we have problems all around us. It's very easy to see all around us there are huge problems, and sometimes they seem uh, in, insurmountable. They seem like they're, they're really just too tremendous for us to overcome. Uh, last week, if you'll remember, I said those problems really are a sign of the times. And it's pretty interesting when you match that with Scripture, the problems we are having, they are a sign of the times. And last week, I, I pointed out that those, those issues, though, those problems are really symptoms of a bigger problem. And that is that we have left, we have abandoned the Word of God as truth. And I'll just tell you, I know that is the issue in our world. I know that is the issue in our nation. I know that is even the issue in our churches. We have, for whatever reason, set aside the Word of God as the truth. It's just not where we turn when we have a problem. It's not the wisdom that we seek when there is an issue. We're not, we're not sure that that's where we're going to go, and that's going to be the, the plumb line, the standard that we uphold as believers. And, and all of the issues that we're facing today really are coming out of that. And I, and I believe that. You watch all of these issues and all of these symptoms, they are coming out of that one truth. Well, I was thinking this week, if we were to go back, and let me just tell you, that's our answer, is to turn to the Word of God and through that, the Savior of that Word. That is our answer. But listen, if we were to go back, if we were to say today, okay, God's Word is truth. God's Word is going to be our source. If, if we were to say, you know what, this is the wisdom that we're going to seek. We're not going to go looking for the world's answers. We're not going to go looking for the experts and their answers. This will be the wisdom, the voice that we seek. If we were to go back, here's the question. Well, what would we do next? If we were to say, you know what, we're going to turn to the Word of God and we're going to align ourselves with the Word of God and the wisdom we're going to use, it's going to be laid out in the Word of God. If we were actually to do that, the question is, well, what then? Very simply, what would our next steps be? Now, let me just tell you, I, I like practical things. I like next steps, and I like next steps that are written out. Well, if that is our decision, what would our next steps honestly be? Today, I'm going to bring a message entitled, Getting Back to Basics. Getting Back to Basics. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, today verses 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Getting Back to Basics. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34. God's word says this. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for peace that is settled in the work of Christ. We're thankful for hope that endures in the midst of dark days. We're thankful for the forgiveness of our sin, the reconciliation, Lord, that's available with a holy, perfect God through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you have been honored today. I pray that you are being honored today. Lord, I pray that you are exalted this morning. Lord, I pray now as we turn to study your word, I know it is a supernatural event. I know it's not a normal thing. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak, that you would teach, that you would train. Lord, I pray that your your words would pierce our, our hearts and our minds, that our ears would be open. And, Lord, I pray that there would be an impact in this room today in the preaching of the living and active word of God. Lord, I pray for anyone here that does not know you. I pray that today in the preaching of the gospel, maybe in the circumstances of life that have brought someone to this point, I pray that today in the grace of a a gracious, kind God, that today is the day of their salvation. I pray for those that will hear this message later, the same thing. I pray, Lord, that there will be hearts that turn to you in salvation. Lord, we give this to you. We love you. We worship you. We praise you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Years ago, I had a football coach, and he was successful. He was respected in his field. The stadium over here is named after him, Coach Britton. And he is remembered as a big deal in Texas high school football. If you go through the record books, if you talk to other coaches, he is heralded, he is remembered as a big deal in Texas high school football. Well, here's the deal with Coach Britton. He really wasn't an innovator as a coach. Uh, He didn't come up with the West Coast offense. He didn't devise elaborate schemes. Uh, He wasn't on the cutting edge of the latest offense or the latest defense. In fact, it was kind of a joke. We could go with the same, honestly, 8 to 12 plays, and that would be the script for our game. He wasn't on the cutting edge of, of football thought, but he beat a lot of people that were. And I thought that was an interesting thing. He was successful. Now listen to this. Because he took care of the basics. And I'll tell you, if there was ever a testimony to who he was, it was he was successful because he took care of the basics. His his team would be ready. They would be in shape. You know what? You don't have to have a chalkboard to run sprints. His team would be ready. They would be disciplined. They wouldn't jump off sides. They would be ready to take care of business. They would have put in hours of hard work. And I can remember those film sessions and the sprints that would run after that. You would step with the right foot. You would be terrified for him to catch you stepping with the incorrect foot. You would put your head on the right side. If you made a tackle but your head was on the wrong side, you would still get a minus. It wasn't genius, but it worked. He took care of the basics. Well, I want to tell you today, having set aside the word of God, we have lost sight of the basics of our Christian faith. And that's, that's what I have noticed as we have set aside the Bible and in all of the noise of the day and in all of the weirdness of what church has become, 
The bottom line is we have set aside the basics of the Christian faith. And we've heard this is what worship looks like, and we've heard this is what will will substitute for the truth of God's word. And in all of the craziness, we have lost sight of the basics of our Christian faith. And listen very carefully today, and there will be no success in your walk with Christ until we get back to the basics. Now, that sounds like a pretty hard statement, but I believe it is the truth. You will not see success in your Christian walk until we get back to the basics of our Christian faith. Well, in our verses today, we're going to start with the basics. And so I want you to get your Bible ready this morning. I want you to be ready to listen, and I'm going to walk you through this morning the basics of our Christian faith. If we're going to turn to the Bible, if we're going to uphold it as God's word, what is our next step? Well, we're going to start today with our next steps, all right? So we're going to go very quickly to our verses today. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34. I'm going to read verse 34 and 35 together. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. Now, that word for silence means they had actually shut their mouths. They had come with an argument. They were trying to to, to catch Christ, to catch Jesus, and he had actually shut their mouths. When he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. All right, now see what's going on here. At this point in Jesus's ministry, uh, he is, he is uh, drawing a large crowd. He is pointed to as one that's claiming to be the Messiah. But at this point, there is a swelling movement to take him out. Now, if you think about that, that should be counter as to what should be happening. As they see the fulfillment of Scripture, they ought to be recognizing Christ. But instead, there is a swelling movement. There is a growing movement to take Jesus out. Well, this this movement is led by the Jewish leaders of that day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Well, understand, part of their plan has been to discredit Jesus. Their plan has been to to reveal that he is a fraud. And so to do this, they have set out to catch him in his words before the people. They are trying to discredit Jesus. He is making these claims. He is saying these things. Well, we will publicly discredit him before the people. Now understand, more than that, they are trying to discharge of Jesus. They are trying to dispense of Jesus. And so it's not just to call him out. It's not to just discredit him. They are trying to be done with Jesus. They are trying to do away with Jesus. Very simply, they wanted him out of their hair. They wanted him gone. In the preceding verses, the Sadducees had taken a shot. They had failed in their attempt. Now, we're going to see as they continually fail, they're going to start to plot his death. That's the only answer. But the Sadducees at this point, they had taken a shot and they had failed. The Bible actually says their mouths were shut. Well, next, the Pharisees decide they will try. And so they pull together, they begin to counsel together, and a lawyer from their midst 
is going to lead the charge. He is going to test Jesus, again, with the attempt to discredit Jesus with the goal of dispensing of Jesus. And so this lawyer takes the, takes the spot to speak, and here's what he says, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now listen, he's not trying to be taught. He's trying to set a trap. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now he's referring to the law of Moses, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. Now we read from history they had not only taken those laws, but they had added multitudes, really crazy amounts of laws to that. And so he is asking what would be a trick question. Of all of those laws, of all of the commands of God, which is the greatest law? Now see their problem right here. Instead of seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of Scripture, their problem is they had set Jesus against Scripture. Now, I, I kind of laugh when I think about that. They do not realize who they're talking to. They do not realize who they're asking the question of. The, the, they're talking to God himself. But instead of seeing Jesus as the promise from the garden that was made to Adam, as, instead of seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of the covenant, the promise that was made to Abraham, instead of understanding that the law that was given to Moses was to point to the need for Jesus, instead of understanding that all of the prophets were foretelling of the coming of Jesus, instead they are missing that Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. They have set him against Scripture, and that is where they've gone wrong. All right, verse 37. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Verse 38 with it. This is the great and foremost commandment. They set him up. Here's his answer. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Great is from the Greek word megas. It's where we get the word for mega. Mega size your fries. It means largest. It means highest. It means heaviest. It is referring to size. This is the biggest, the largest, the tallest. This is the biggest. Now it says the great and foremost. Now it's very telling that he links the two words together here. For, foremost translates from the original language, most important, chief, before others, above others, before any other. And, and so what he's saying here is this is the command. This is the biggest. This is the heaviest. This is the weightiest. This is the chief of all the commands. What he is saying here is this is the command. If this is not followed, nothing else matters. This is the chief command, the big dog of all the commands. And then he tells them what it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I want us to see this this morning. 
as we seek to biblically get back to the basics, if you want to know what the starting place is, if we're seeking to get back to the basics, we need to see this today. This phrase is called the Shema. That is what a devout Jew would call it, still would call it that, the Shema. A devout Jew in this day would put a little box on their left hand and a little box on their forehead, and in it would be written what Jesus has just said. Now, it wasn't just tied to their left hand and put on their forehead. They also recited it two times a day. In the morning, they would recite this. In the evening, they would recite this. The Shema, it actually translates to listen. From Deuteronomy, it said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then it repeated what Jesus just said. And so understand, this is what they knew they were to listen to. They were to hear. They spoke it two times a day. They were familiar with this saying that Jesus had just said to them. Now let's look at it even closer. It says, you shall. You shall. Now I want to stop right there already. And I think we need to be sure and get this this morning. We need to see this. Understand today, this is a personal command. You shall. Understand, this is a personal command. This is my command. This is your command. What is my next step? This is what I am to do. Be sure this is a personal command. I want you to hear me. Listen very carefully. Today, we've got too many people running around trying to fix other people. We got too many people that are trying to get somebody else to change. We've got folks that go around and, and, and they say, you know what, you need to change. You need to see it my way. You are the problem. We got too many people that are running all around trying to fix other people. Don't you see that's our day? Don't you see that's what the news channels try to do? That's what the politicians are trying to do? We got too many folks to say, you know what, if you could just hear what I'm saying, if you could just understand what I'm teaching, you'll find your answer. And people are running around seeking a change in others. When friends, I want you to hear this. The starting place. In fact, the only place that I have any control at all the starting place is with me. It starts with me. I want you to understand, I can't fix the problem of racism or any other sin for that matter in you. But I want to tell you before God and before God Almighty, I better deal with it in me. It all starts with me. I can't control your sin. I can't teach you some way and hope that, you know what, that's going to take you and change your mind and change your heart. God does that. I have to understand. We have to understand. It all starts with me. Here's what I figured out in 14 years of preaching. We don't like that. We don't like that. Man, this has got to be my mama's fault. You, you know how I was raised, right? Well, you know the town I came up in. It's that, that, we need to go back there and straighten those folks out. You know what? Well, you don't understand what the environment did to me and how I was raised where I went to college. We do not like the truth that the problem is us, and it starts in our heart, and the only control I have is not of your heart. It is with me. Well, how awesome that we see here. It is a 
personal command, the highest command, the biggest command, the weightiest command, the weightiest command. It is a personal command. You shall. All right, here we go. You shall love in that Shema in Deuteronomy. That's where the word love comes from. It is the Hebrew word for love. It means to adore someone or something, to care for them, and it comes with dedication to and commitment to. Now, the Greek word, agape, the New Testament word for love, it is self-sacrificial love, the giving of yourself for somebody else. This has a shade of that, but really it's a deeper thing. It is adoration. And out of that adoration, it is devotion and commitment too. It is to care for them. And so it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all. Now you're going to hear this all the way through it, with all. That means with everything, with all your heart. Your heart, that is who you are. That is the core of who you are. That's what the the biblical understanding would have been. And so you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your core is to love him and with all your soul. Your soul is your emotional center. That, that's your feelings. That are, that are your, those are your desires. And so you're to love the Lord your God with all of your desire, all of your emotion, your soul, all of it is to love the Lord your God. And then it says, Jesus says, all your mind. Your mind is your intellectual center. This is where, you're, where you reason. It is where you determine. And honestly, it is where you decide. You weigh the facts. You take pieces of information. You reason with those and you decide in your mind. Well, you know what? You're to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Now, stay with me. I want you to see this. I think it's pretty big. It lists several categories here several pieces of human life, your heart, your soul, your mind. But I want you to see this. But it doesn't list them in order to break them up, but it lists them in order to put them all together. Do you see that? It is with all of your heart, but it's also and with all of your soul, but it's also and with all of your mind. It's not talking about we love God with our heart and our emotion, but our mind doesn't follow along. It doesn't mean we love Jesus with all of our mind, but our heart is somewhere else. Do you see the individual pieces are listed separately that they might all come together. We need to get this. We need to get back to the basics as believers we are with all that we have to love God it's it's not a piece of who we are man we walk around the world thinking you know what I've given him a piece that's enough it's not with a piece of what we do it's with all of what you do it's, it's, it's not with a piece of our time you know what I'm going to give you this day this hour no brothers and sisters it is with the total totality of our being is with every ounce of every piece of who we are. We are to love God in our brain, in our soul, in our intellect, in our emotion. We are totally, supremely to be dedicated, adoring our God. Let me tell you, it is a lie 
of the world and of Satan, and let me just tell you this while I'm at it, that is being rubber stamped by the church that we can halfway commit to Jesus Christ. You know what? That's a lie. Our world says, well, I saw you there on Sunday and I saw this and I saw that. That's good enough. We'll get back to business on Monday. Our world says, you know what, your devotion's there part of the time, at least enough to get you saved. But you know what, your language and your jokes and your actions and your attitudes, they're not there the rest of the time. It is a lie of the world to say that you can halfway worship Christ, that you can halfway obey Christ. You know what, in this thing I'll obey, but not in the other things. That is a lie of the world. Listen to this, it's gonna make sense. Be sure of this. That is why we have room for apathy in our lives. That is why we have room for sin in our lives. That is why we have room for racism in our lives. That is why we have room for the world in our lives because we're not totally loving Christ. And I thought about that as, as those pieces came together. You know, what, you know what sin is in your life? It's you loving something more than God for just that time. Well, sin this and sin that. Listen, that's what sin is. Sin is you loving something more than God for that time. You know why you have room for sin in your life? It's because you're not totally loving God. You know why you can sit around and be apathetic, not care about it? It's because you've got room for apathy in your life because you're not totally loving God. That is why with all that we are, every piece of who we are, when we love God, there's not room for those things. Now, here's a weird thing. These guys have been saying that twice a day. These guys had all the religious trappings. Hear, O Israel, they were listening. But they didn't have an all-encompassing, all-consuming love for God. All right, back to the basics. Do you? Do we? Is your heart divided today? Is your worship divided today? You see, their problem is they had the word from God. They didn't care anything about it. They did not have an all-consuming love for God. Do you today? There's a song that's been stuck in my heart for about five years now. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Listen, if we're going to go back to the basics of our, of, our, of our Lord's word, if we're to put it into practice, our consuming love is to be for Jesus Christ. Our consuming, all-encompassing love is to be for our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the first and the foremost of all of the commands. All right, verse 39. He goes on. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to understand the context as he speaks that. These, these hearers, they were selfish. These hearers, they were self-promoters. That's what they were. They used the law. In fact, they used religion 
to profit themselves. They didn't love their fellow Jews. And you watch, that's not the motivation in that. That's not their heart in that. They didn't love their fellow Jews. In fact, they traded on their fellow Jews. They got positions with the Roman government by trading on their position with the Jews. They got esteem in the the Jewish community by trading on their Jewish brothers. They didn't love their fellow Jews. They traded on them. They used the system to profit themselves. And for sure, they didn't love their Gentile neighbors. and love their pagan neighbors. Well, Jesus says, not only are you to love God totally, you like to write that on your hands and on your head, but he says, you know what? Second, and like that, you're to love your neighbors, those around you as yourself. All right, we got a few minutes. I want to point something out right here. There is a modern... I'm just going to say it. There's a modern goofy teaching that says, and I've heard it the last 10 years, this command is first a command to love yourself. You heard that lately? You have to love yourself. That's what this command is. When I read this, it tells me, you know what you need to do? Love yourself. It it says, it follows something like this. You have to love yourself in order to love others. Have you heard that? Let me just tell you what's wrong with that. That follows Freudian modern pop psychology that says the problem in the world, the problem in the human heart is self-esteem. Now, the Bible says it's sin, but the the Freudian pop psychologist will say it is self-esteem. And so the problem of our day is that we do not think enough of ourselves. That's the modern thought. You go to, to most counselors today, they're going to say, you know what? We've got to figure out what's got you pulled down. We've got to figure out why your self-esteem's not right. We've got to tell you who, how great you are. There's a hundred new books out in the last five years talking about I'm enough. I'm enough. You're enough. I'm enough. You are enough. hundred books that say that. There's shirts that say that. There's seminars you can go to. And for 12 hours, they'll take $99 and say, you're enough. You're enough. You're enough. We're going to take an offering before we leave. The modern thought is we need to build self-esteem as the answer to the world's problems. Here's what I've noticed. The problem with our rotten, selfish, narcissistic culture is not that we don't think enough of ourselves. The problem with our sorry, selfish culture today is we think way too much of ourselves. And that's what I believe is the problem. And I'll just tell you, go try and teach that in a psychology class. The problem today is not that we don't think enough of ourselves. The problem is we think too much of ourselves. And let me just point out what it looks like practically. We are raising our kids today to think they're the center of everything. You're the center of everything, little kid. And you get this award and this award, and you're the greatest, and you're this. And mom and daddy are here to serve you and to tiptoe around you. And we're not going to raise our voice at you. And we've raised our kids to think, you know what? We don't want to hurt your little self-esteem. You're the center of everything. And guess what that's produced now? It's produced adults that think they're the center of everything. 
And so if I have an opinion, you better listen. It's right. If I want something, you better serve it. And we've raised a a generation of folks that are selfish and self-centered and narcissistic and prideful. And it's opposite counter of what the world says. The problem is not that we don't have enough self-esteem. The problem is we think too highly of ourselves. Well, Jesus says, you know what? I don't have to command you to love yourself because in your goofy pride, you're going to do that already. But Jesus takes that crazy thing and he says, you know what? But as you take care of yourself, as you look out for yourself, that's your instinct, as you're willing to sacrifice for yourself at the cost of others, that is now going to be the standard of how you love other people. Verse 40, it says that all the other biblical commands are going to hang on these two. But Jesus comes and he puts this right in their face. And he says, you know what? The new standard is the way that you care for yourself. That is the command of how you're going to treat other people. Let me just walk this out. John, the apostle in 1 John says, if you love God, listen, then love other people. He says, in fact, it's pretty harsh, but he says that I don't. He says, in fact, if you claim to love God, but if you don't love other people, you are a liar and you don't love God. He doesn't say you don't love them. He says, if you're claiming to love God, but you don't love other people, you're a liar, you're a fraud. You do not love God. Look around today. Man, we're so mean. Man, we're so rough. Man, we're so selfish. Man, look at us today. We're so self-righteous. That is our world today. Friends, we have to get back to the basics. I want you to hear me. What we're to do as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to serve others. We are to build others up. We're to push others up. We're to take care of each other. We're to take care of others. And the standard is the same way that I would treat myself. That is how I would treat them. That is the Christian ethic, to love others. Let me tell you some notes I wrote in here this morning. We're to love others. The ones we like, we're to love them. But listen to this one. The ones we don't like, guess what? We're to love them too. The ones that love you, guess what? Love them. But the ones that despise you, that hate you, the Christian ethic is you love them as well because you love God. That's the command of Jesus. Now I'm gonna go one step further here because there's some confusion. And I want you to hear it. I want you to be sure of it. And you can take it to the bank. The primary way that you love others, listen, is to lead them to Jesus. What about feeding them? Yeah, we'll feed them in an opportunity to teach them about Jesus. What about taking care of social injustice? Yeah, well, listen, we're going to stand up for injustice. The Bible says we should, but you know why? It's so we can open our mouths and tell them about Jesus. Listen, the primary way that you love your neighbor, and I, I, man, the last few months I've wanted to burst. Well, you're not wearing a mask. You don't love your neighbor well. Well, you didn't do this. You don't love your neighbor well. Listen, the primary way that you love your neighbor is to tell them about Jesus. You understand why? It's because he is the only way they will find peace. The world doesn't have peace. The only way they'll find peace is a neighbor that loved them enough to tell them about Jesus. He's the only way they're ever going to have hope in the days when the hope is being stomped out of us. If they're going to find hope, it's not going to be because you brought them a meal. It's going to be because you took that meal and used the opportunity to tell them of Jesus. 
Listen, the way you love your neighbor is tell them of the one that saves, the one that forgives, the one that restores. The greatest way we show love is to lead people to the same Savior that we love with all that we are. Makes sense all of a sudden, doesn't it? Gets hard all of a sudden, doesn't it? Those are the basics. That is what the Bible teaches. And that is what we do. I want you to see this. And it's marvelous how it happens, but that's the point of why it happens. I want you to see this. Have you noticed this? It all comes back to Jesus. Notice that, both of those commands, it all comes back to Jesus. You know what? We know God. How do we know God? As we know Jesus. And you know what? We receive his love as we receive Jesus Christ. It all comes back to Jesus. He is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord. We love him. It all comes back to Jesus. Listen, we love others by leading them to that same Savior, Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. So here's the question today. So how are your fundamentals? Here's the question today. How are you doing on the basics? Now, I'll just tell you for all of us, here's the answer. We need to draw closer to Jesus. Well, what if we do this? No, listen. How you love God more is you get closer to Jesus. How you have an all-encompassing love in your stomach, in your heart, in your soul, in your emotion for God is you get closer to Jesus. How you love your neighbor, even the ones that hate you. You know what? How you do that? You get closer to Jesus. Some of you here for the first time, maybe you need to find Jesus Christ. And you're here, maybe some of you have heard this a million times, but you've never understood Jesus is the only hope. Jesus died and he paid your penalty on the cross. He settled the score. It's paid in full in him. He's risen from the grave. Maybe some of you here are realizing for the first time, you know what? I don't know Jesus like that. Maybe today is the day you need to put your trust, your hope, your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're hearing all this and you've got, a, you've got a settled faith, a saving faith of Jesus. But you know what? You've let the things of the world creep back in. You've let the, the teachings, the truths of the world that are all lies creep back in. And your answer is the same as mine is to get closer to Jesus today. It all goes back to Jesus. How are we doing on the basics? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the truth of your word. And Lord, as I, as I move through these verses, I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful that you love us. Thankful that your love doesn't run out with the terrible nastiness of our sin. But then in great grace, you send a remedy, Jesus. I'm thankful that we have hope in Jesus, a risen, resurrected Savior in Jesus. I'm thankful as we were just singing that you're coming again for your church, Jesus. Lord, I pray for some that do not know you. I pray that today they trust you, they turn to you, they put their faith in you. Lord, I pray for us as believers today that we wouldn't march around with, all, with a set of rules like these Pharisees did, but we would come back and say, with all that we have, Lord, help us have an all-encompassing love for you and let it be shown in the love for our neighbors. Lord, help us lead many to you, the only hope. Lord, I pray that you have spoken today. I pray that you continue to speak in our hearts. Lord, I pray as we go to this time of invitation that you would move and that you would work. Lord, I pray for some of us that are prideful, you would break us. 
I pray for some of us that have been distracted, you'd renew us. I pray for some that have thought there's a different cause that you'd focus us. And Lord, I pray that all of us would love you more today. We give all this to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.